come to you tonight, and it is with a heart overflowing, that not only can we sing these songs and truly understand the truth of them, that we can, we can really sing these because we've experienced them. And Father, tonight I just pray that because music is such a big tool, to enhance what your word says and that your Holy Spirit, we've been given every tool we need to be able to understand. And tonight we're going to utilize many of them from music to your word to your spirit. But we're going to leave here understanding maybe a portion of scripture that we didn't know was that all was in there. We might have read it maybe quickly or for something, but there is so much that you want to teach us. And we're ready. We're ready this year to get back together and to really delve in and to read your word line by line, word for word. So, Lord, this very night, we know that in the course of the many, many months, Father, you have done an extraordinary work. You can take all things that maybe Satan meant for evil and you can turn for good. And you can take things that have maybe caused us a lot of pain and suffering and you can show us that our sufferings make us who we are. They make us know you better. So, Lord, tonight we are ready to receive from you. We open up our hearts Lord, we thank you for spiritual eyes, for spiritual ears, and for a heart where your spirit dwells so that we can take words that are simply on a page and turn them into life, life-changing words. Oh, Lord, we thank you again for this church and for the opportunity. They just opened up their doors so that we could, we could meet here tonight. Father, that's, this is what the church is. And I'm watching it so in these last couple days that churches are just daring to say, we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to be talking about Jesus. We've got to be able to take God's word and to see that it is our guideline. It is our source of strength. It is our direction. It is our encouragement. It lifts us up. It has answers. So, Father, thank you for another year. I mean, none of us knows what's going to happen None of us knows what's going to happen this year, personally, worldwide, but Lord, we are sure of you. I might not know about my tomorrow, but I know who holds my tomorrow. And so may, may all of our songs tonight, may our thoughts and may, our, may our, the teaching and may we just so desire to leave here different than when we came. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, all right, everybody, um, this is what we're going to do. And if I forget, someone will remind me, but I hope I don't ever forget. But this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Yeah. And if you aren't totally convinced of that, you will be by the time we are done. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Not 119, just plain 19. And it starts out, and 
And you know how by this time, you know by this time that I love putting myself in the setting. And, and it says right above, um, or right under Psalm 19 and right above where the verses start, it tells us something. It tells that David, David wrote it, and he was talking to the music director. And I believe that he, you know, they had a staff meeting. And he said to the music director, and this is how I want it to go. We're going to have a church full of people or a synagogue full of people or a temple full of people, whatever. But he says, they're coming, and we don't want them to miss. So this is how we're going to do it. And so he's telling his music director, we can't start with the last part. We can't even start in the middle. We have to start. you got to follow my instructions from my experience. And what I've learned is that people aren't going to know and listen to what God has to say until they have a picture of him in their mind. And they know who he is, how big he is, maybe not so much size, but what he's filled with for every one of us. We have to know that he loves us beyond what we can even comprehend. That he proved it through saving us. And so he is starting now by saying, how about this? How about seeing who he is through creation? So he says these words, the heavens, the heavens, not the heaven heavens. We're talking about the heavenlies, the created heavens. When Genesis 1, when God created the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars, in the universe and how they all fit together and how they all work so perfectly. He said, when was the last time you stepped outside and you saw God in this creation? And maybe some of you this summer, maybe you took trips. Maybe you went out west. Maybe you were in the mountains. Maybe you were in the redwoods in California. Maybe you were out east. Maybe you were at Holland State Park. Maybe you're in Grand Haven. I mean, you cannot look at around you and not without, you know, we take it so for granted. But David is trying to say, we need to, we all need to just get out there and look. And so he says, let the heavens declare his glory. Let the skies proclaim the work of his hands. If you, if you are, are in need of seeing um, who he is and how great he is and how big he is and, and how powerful and how majestic and how sovereign he is, how about just try and look up? Let the heavens declare. Let the skies proclaim. I love those words, don't you? Declare and proclaim. Let creation let creation just remind you. You know, sometimes we can look at creation, and I hope and pray that, that every one of us, when we look and we think of God and how big he is, I hope we think then it automatically takes us to Jesus and his, his sacrifice and the cross and that we just don't see what a big, mighty, almighty God we've got, but that, that we have a God that, that took pathetic, hopeless people. And instead of throwing the whole bunch into hell, he said, I'm going to make a way. 
I hope every time we declare and proclaim the glory of God, we then automatically survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. For me. For you. I hope that no matter what we study in Daniel or Esther or whatever we study, that there isn't a week that when you study or when you come here that you don't hear over and over. And I'm not a bit ashamed to say, and you will hear it many times, that when we see our God for who he is, that it brings us right to that humbling, that humbling fact that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But fortunately, the angels were so right when they said unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We have a Savior who can take our lostness, And take that reality of who we truly are, and that is a humbling thing. And a lot of times that is such a stickler for some people because that's the first step of salvation is seeing ourselves the way we truly are. And a lot of times no one likes to go there. But the fact is, these are the terms. Salvation is found in none other. There is no other name under heaven by which you and I could be saved. These are the terms. And the only way that we can truly come to Jesus and the cross and take that humbling walk is that we see ourselves the way we are. It is a truly awful day. Salvation Day is truly an awful day. I know know you're thinking, that's blasphemy, Linnell. No, it isn't. Because finally I've come to grips with who I am and I need a Savior. And so, yes, I take that walk to the cross. But fortunately, Jesus is standing there with his arms outstretched, just waiting. He's just been waiting for you and I to come. To fall at his feet because we are so grateful that we can now be saved. We can experience his amazing grace. How sweet that sounds. It is truly amazing. And then to be able to have him pick us up after we have confessed and we've repented and we've, we've surrendered and we've made him our Lord and he picks us up and he turns us around and he says, now I'm going to instill within you my very spirit because now I have created something new. You are brand spanking new. We're not just fixing up an old something. We are making you new. Old things are gone. Behold, all things are are new. And I have to say right now is that the second you come to the cross and you accept him as your Savior and you now are filled with his spirit and he has now put you and I on a mission. And I have to be very honest and tell you that your life is not your own anymore. You have been bought with a price And it isn't about you anymore. It's about him. It's like our lives take a whole different purpose, a whole different direction. And it is marvelous. It is wonderful. And you watch yourself day by day under the guidance of his word and his spirit. We start seeing this truth and makes us come alive. No wonder Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives. It's Christ in me. See, when when David is saying to the music director, you've got to get people to see who God is and what he's done. And it, it just takes you back. 
And then you think, well, of course then I want to listen to him. And look how he says, day after day, day after day, they pour forth speech. The heavens are going to be there, and the skies are going to be there. And so when you went to bed last night and you get up the next morning, guess what? They're there. Day after day, you can count on that glory of our God to be proclaiming and declaring. So day after day and night after night, I tell you, sometimes it's just as pretty at night. Been under the stars and you see the moon and, I mean, it's exquisite. And night after night, they display knowledge. So day after day and night after night, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. When you look at the skies and you look at the heavenlies and, and you comprehend his creation, do you know that it's not it's not necessarily in English or Spanish or French. He is saying that anybody in all of the world, no matter where they live, from the Middle East to the Orient to anywhere in this world, you can look at the same heavens in the same skies and you can be in awe of it. You can hear the declaration and the proclamation of our God in every language, in every nation. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth. So I think he made it quite clear just how important, how important creation really is, and we should marvel at it. And I want to just read quickly a verse from Romans 1, verse 20, where Paul, he says these words. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, yeah, the creation of the world, it was his invisible qualities. He said it and it came to be and it was good. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. That's what Paul said. All you have to do is look around. And his power, his eternal power, and his divine nature is clearly seen. No one, I mean no one, could make that. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. I thought that verse went so well with what we just read because we, we hear how there's no speech or language when their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, the words, the words to the ends of the earth. You know, every nation, every nationality, everybody sees it. And that's why Paul says, you know what? That's why no man can say that they have an excuse. Maybe they didn't have the privilege of hearing it as plainly through um, something or someone. But he said, yeah, you really did, though. Because the skies just declare and they proclaim. And that should make you want to ask more questions and find out about the one who can make that. And then he starts individualizing. I mean, he starts... He starts talking about the sun, and 
And I'm so glad he did that because, I mean, we all know from science, at least what I can kind of remember, is that everything revolves around the sun. And, you know, that's not coincidence because spiritually everything revolves around the sun, Jesus. So the fact that our, our world, our earth and the planets, we all revolve around the sun. So he's talking about the sun here. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it comes clear for you, but that was doubling for me. What do you mean he, pin, he pitches a tent for the sun? That's called night. And that, that our whole, you know, our whole 24 hours do not just, com- just do not have just sun, 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 but that the sun moves and then the sun goes to another part of the world and then we have a break from the sun. And then, and so he, he, he's talking about when was the last time you really thought about how that sun really operates and the details and the mechanisms, how minutely everything just works. So he, he refers to the sun like this. The sun is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. He's kind of referring to like a man in his prime. They're invincible and they have strength and, and they have this power. And he's saying, the sun, when was the last time you really thought about how powerful that sun really is and how it works so meticulously? He says, it rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So he kind of just helps the people be astounded once again by the power of God and even taking something like the sun. So how about looking at creation and declaring How about looking at the skies and proclaim who God really is? See, so so now he's saying to the music director, okay, we've got them. We, we, We have their eyes fixed on who God is and his his majesty. And like I said, his power and his and his sovereignty. And we're in awe again. And it's like he says, and now we're going to move into the next section because now they're ready to listen to what God says. And so in the next verses, he's going to talk about how important our Bibles are. It's like David is saying, oh, creation shows God in such a great way. But then he moves on and says, okay, but his word is going to show him in even a greater way. Now got your attention, and now your ears, your spiritual eyes have seen, and now your spiritual ears are going to be in tune. And so kind of even picture that now that you've got 
God in his place. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's almost like you can see Jesus because the word is Jesus. John said it. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word is Jesus. And picture him coming and loving you so much. And he's proved it through the cross. But imagine him coming before you. And like you and I do to our own children, we want them to listen and to concentrate and to hear what we've got to say because it's important for their growing up and for, the, for them getting on the right track and staying on the right path. Picture Jesus doing what you and I probably have done to our kids. We put their, our hands on their little cheeks and we pinch them just hard enough so that they are looking right at you because now you say, listen to me. And I think every time every I open my Bible, I picture Jesus saying, as a parent, saying to me, now listen to me. It's important because you need to learn how to grow. You, you, it's so good that you've come this far, but you haven't even touched the surface yet. Now listen I want to show you how your Bible can be so valuable. And so he has different names for our Bibles in verses 7 through 11. He first calls our Bibles the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. And we have to know that our Bibles are filled with commands and with laws. And I think realistically, we can think about, um, wonder if we didn't have any laws. I mean, just, just driving around, if there were no laws about speed or stop signs or, I mean, the chaos I mean, we have laws, and, and now in, in this day and age, I mean, uh, goodness, with everybody so short-fused and everybody just so, um, I mean, sometimes we're driving and we're obeying the laws, and, and somebody, um, Tom and I had this a while back, and, and this guy just came right in front of us, and he, he just was so angry, and, and you know, he... It, expressed himself in ways I'm not going to say, but we got the message. And I said to Tom, do you know what we did wrong? He said, no. Do you know what we did wrong? I said, no. And it's, it's so easy, you know, nowadays. And I think we have got to see that the law of the Lord is important. We need laws. We need him to, to be able to say, you can't do this. I mean, even in our Ten Commandments, I always call the Ten Commandments, that's our fence. And we don't like to be told what to do. But our God knows this so well that he says, I've got to put a fence around you. And if you stay within the fence, you'll be so much better off. But I know, like the little sheep, you think that you know better and you jump the fence and... We need the law of the Lord. And then David goes on to say about those, those laws. 
Even though we don't like to be told what to do, if we were honest, we know we need them. And what, what, how does David describe? The law of the Lord is perfect. So there's just enough of them. And he knew exactly what laws that we would need. And he expected us to obey them. The law of the Lord is perfect. In fact, if you're willing to abide by the law of the Lord, then the law of the Lord is this book, your Bible. If you're willing to abide by God's word, look what it says. Now, I always have the King James Version. I, I, this is just my thing when I study. I have the King James next to me, and then I study with NIV, but I just always go back, and it's been so enlightening to me. Now, in the King James, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, and it converts my soul. It converts. I like that. I liked it because I thought, yeah, the, the law of the Lord did convert my soul because somehow, some way, I heard about that I had to come to the realization that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior and just like what I talked about. I had, I had the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord said, this is the way. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. You must be saved. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so all of these verses and all of these laws, all of these truths, yeah, they're perfect. And they converted me. They converted me. They changed me from, from thinking I was self-sufficient and self-confident and made me realize that I'm none of those things. I am confident and I'm sufficient in him and in Jesus alone. It converted me. It changed my life. The law of the Lord did that. No, it's perfect, all right. It converted you, it converted me. And in the NIV, I like this word too. It revives me. I mean, if we, if we really start to understand how important God's word is and how important the law of the Lord really is, then sometimes even when we don't feel like it, we just know that we need to do it. And when you are willing to do that, it revives you. It takes you from maybe you're having a funk of a day or maybe you're, you've just had circumstances that are overwhelming. And I'm here to convince you through God's spirit. I'm glad to be the mouthpiece of him tonight so that you will hear that he can and will. His word is about that. It will revive your soul. You cannot go into God's word and seriously ask the Holy Spirit to bring this truth to your heart and have it not lift you out of your funk. And then it says that our Bibles are called statutes. They're statutes. And I look at that as like a statue. It doesn't move. Psalm 119 says that God's word is firm in the heavens. It stands firm. 
firm in the heavens. Our Bibles are statutes. It doesn't change, even though culture does. Our Bibles don't. God's word does not change. And he says that this unchangeable, this unmoving word, it's trustworthy. It's trustworthy. You can trust it. That's why every week you hear, I believe this is God's word. I believe that every word is true. I believe it is all that I need. It's trustworthy. And the reason you can say that is because you are learning that, yes, it is the truth. It's the only book that you can count on to be absolutely trustworthy. You can trust it. And then look what it does. When you get to the point where you go to your Bibles because it's unmovable, it doesn't change, it's trustworthy, look what it does to us simple people. It makes us wise. It makes you and I wise. And that should be a goal that we desire. We want to become wise. And I, I did not say smart. Wisdom. We want to be wise in God's word. We want to be able to have the Holy Spirit help us recall what we've learned at just the right time. That's wisdom. Listening to the Lord speak because we have learned it from his statutes, from our Bibles. It makes the simple mind. Because I even say that to highly educated people because compared to God, they're simple mind. And no matter what, every one of us have to come to him simply. And so it makes the simple mind wise. So see, it's worth, it's worth doing your lessons every day. It's worth it coming and committing and for maybe some of you new ones, if you thought that this is going to be like a little six or eight week and then you can go on, I, I have to tell you something. We don't do six or eight weeks. We do 20. And I'm asking for a commitment to that. And, and, you know, I really felt the Lord really showed me this time is that we're going to have three host churches, three classes one Monday night, one Tuesday morning, one Tuesday night. And so, you know what I'm telling you? There's just no excuse. I know things happen in a week, but if you're busy on Tuesday, then you can come Monday. If you just would rather not go at night, well, then come in the morning. You know, it's just been so easy to say, well, it doesn't work, doesn't work. Well, you know what? All three, pick and choose, mix and match. It's perfectly fine. And you know what? You might have to drive a couple miles. I know it's not that convenient. Maybe some of you have to drive to Ottawa, or maybe some of you, if you want to go to Fairhaven, you might have to drive a few miles. But you know what? I am so confident of it's going to be worth it. Because we want to take, we want to take the law of the Lord that is perfect. We want to take the statues that are trustworthy. We want to know these. We want to become wise of, of the Lord. Not just smart from facts. And then he calls our Bibles, he calls them precepts. 
He says, the, our Bibles are precepts. The precepts of the Lord, they're right. Thank you, David, for just being simple. I like that. Thanks for just reminding me that I can count on this book not only to convert me, to revive me, to, to um, make me wise, but I can count on it because it is just plain right. That's not complicated. This book is right. So what you read, what, what you're hearing from him, how he's speaking to your heart, and when you start feeling a conviction or when you feel him lifting you out of your funk or whatever, whatever you need, he knows and he does it. You're going to find that it gives joy. It gives joy to your heart because he's leading you to the right place. The place where you and I can be productive and we can do good and we can say good things and we can think good thoughts. It just puts us in such a right place. So his precepts are right and that should give our heart joy that we're in the right place. Because we know when we're not in the right place. We know when we veered off course. We know when our life is not in the right sink. We know. Maybe it's because of guilt. Maybe it's because of a bad decision. Maybe it's because of an unforgiving spirit. Maybe you're just plain crabby and you want to stay that way. Whatever. We know when it's not right. We know it's not giving joy to our heart. And so what does David say? Go back to your Bible. And let, this, let his word change that. You have a choice. You don't have to stay where you're at. I think that's why he called our Bibles such different names. And then he said, the commands of the Lord are radiant. I kind of look at that as the same as the law of the Lord, but also commands. The commands of the Lord are radiant. The King James, instead of radiant, it said enlightening. I like that too. Enlightening. Don't you have a desire to be enlightened? Have you ever been in a Bible study or if you've been in your personal devotions and, and maybe a passage of Scripture is just complicated and it's just not coming together and Maybe this is the right time to say that, you know, if you've picked up your lessons tonight, I, I don't know if you looked at, you know, the lesson, you'll see that every lesson just has 10 questions. And maybe some of you are saying, oh, great, am I glad I picked this. It's so much easier than BSF. <laughs> you may, maybe you're thinking that. Only 10 questions. Yep. And you know what? There's nothing profound about these questions. The only thing that these questions do is get you into that chapter. And I really don't care during the week when you do it. I'll try not to do it um, Tuesday at 4. You know, try, try to do it somewhere during the week. But I don't really care what day you do it because it's not going to take you that long to do the questions. But your assignment, like it always has been, 
and it always will be, is that your assignment is every day your Bible is open because you are going to read that chapter every day. Every day. And you know what you're going to discover? You're going to discover that on Tuesday, you didn't even read that on Monday. And Wednesday, you, you, you get my point. When you read that chapter every day, it's just so exciting. You are enlightened. His Holy Spirit enlightens these words. And it's just so exciting to be able to see the light come on. I know, and I hope you do too. The commands, our Bibles, they enlighten us. It gives light to our spiritual eyes. It helps us see and understand better. Our Bibles also can be called the fear of the Lord. That was a new one for me. God's, God's word, my Bible, it's the fear of the Lord. This should be such a holy book to us. We should love it so much because like we said, it is our Savior talking to us. I mean, if that doesn't shake you a little bit. The fear of the Lord is pure. Our Bibles are pure, enduring forever. Our Bibles are also called ordinances, or King James calls it judgments. This isn't my favorite one, to tell you the truth. It's not my favorite one because it makes me see that the Bible isn't just going to be there to make me better as far as giving me my way and giving, getting me out of a funk or giving me clear direction or enlightening an idea or whatever. Note the Bible is also to show me that, um, <laughs> that there's going to be consequences to my disobedience. God's word needs to also tell us that, that You've got to learn that it started in Genesis 3 already. He hates sin. He doesn't put up with sin. There's consequences to sin. You're not going to ever get away with it. And we can be thankful that we don't. So his judgments, his ordinances, his, they're sure. You can count on them. You can count on discipline. You can count on him getting after you. And we better be thankful about that. We can be thankful that he takes us the way we are, but that he doesn't let us stay there. We can be thankful that his judgments and that his ordinances, I know we're going to experience an ultimate judgment day. That there actually will be a judgment where he'll make all wrong right, all injustice just. Oh, what a day. And that's part of the things that we've been saved from. You and I will not, we will not stand in judgment for our sins. Isn't that just unbelievable? That should just, you should be saying amen to that. We are saved from standing in front of him. Because if we've come to the cross, his blood covered every sin. So, so that's just something 
but there is going to be an end to his patience. There's going to be an end to the heaven and the earth the way we know it. There is going to be an end, and this is pretty blunt, but there is going to be an end when Jesus himself will say, depart from me. I never knew you. That should give you chills. And that's what I think David is saying. God's word tells us that. There are consequences to disobedience. There are consequences to you thinking that salvation is in any other way or that you're good enough and that salvation is just a weak link that people need. And I'm strong in and of myself. Oh, man, I pity you. I'm glad he talks firm in his word that it doesn't work that way. I know it's hard to hear. But it's sure and altogether righteous. He has every right. He has every right to do what he's going to do to us now or at the end of time. He sure told us. And it's something to me in verse 10 that right after that hard one, ooh, after that hard one, David says, and my Bible is more precious. He says they are. And the reason he says they are, because whether you want to call your Bible the law of the Lord or statutes or precepts or commands or fear of the Lord or ordinances or judgments, he's saying your Bible is more precious than gold. And David, he knows. David knows how, how he knows about wealth. Let me just put it that way. He knows how important gold is and how valuable gold is. In fact, he even goes on to say it's more precious than gold than much pure gold. So he's saying it is so valuable. Your Bible is so valuable. And then he puts it this way. Not only is it valuable... But it's sweeter. It's sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. It brings you to a sweet relationship with him. Your Bible gets you into a sweet relationship with your Savior and with a powerful, almighty God. And with the Holy Spirit, who aren't you glad that he's been left behind God the Father, God the Son are in their rightful places, but the Holy Spirit was left behind for you and I so that we could live our Bibles. We could live out our salvation. And then he says, it's by your Bible that your servant, and I hope you know that you, we are servants of the Lord. And I think that's another thing David wants to make sure that we know. He's God, we're not. We're his servant. And those places will never change. And so if you flipped them, then you've got problems. And he'll seek to it, you know. 
But that is, your Bible will keep us in our rightful place knowing we are his servant and we have been warned. So our Bibles warn us. And, and what does our Bible warn us? I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but our, our Bibles warn us about the fact that it doesn't pay to put your trust in a man or a government or a spouse or a bank account or even children. The Bible warns us. Your number one priority, your number one trust should be in God and God alone. So he warns us when we are tempted to trust other things or people. Or he says, I'm warning, the Bible also warns us that because, boy, our, our human ears want to hear that wealth and fame and power are what make us. That's when people are going to see we are something. The Bible warns us that is a lie. And it's like Jesus says, sit down, let me wipe, let me wash your feet. What a demonstration of what Jesus expects us as his followers to be. You're believing a lie of the enemy, a lie of the world. I mean, and I just feel that I'm talking sense here because, I mean, I grew up starting as a little girl to be on a stage. And I grew up believing that my worth depending on, depended on how good I performed. Pretty pathetic, isn't it? That's the way I grew up until my adulthood, later adulthood, I'm ashamed to say. My worth was based on my performance. I'll tell you, there's something wonderful about freedom in Christ. And the more that your Bibles are studied and you get to know the powerful God through his son Jesus and the, the spirit, I'm telling you, you start understanding phrases like free in Christ. Do you know how free it is to be able to come here tonight and know that it's not about my performance. I mean, I'm just reading what God's word says. And his spirit will take it from there. But it's just been so freeing to know. I know maybe it is getting older and wiser. I don't know, but I think most of all, it's just getting a depth of understanding that my worth is not based on wealth, fame, or power, or ability. My worth is based on the cross of Christ and the fact that I'm his and he is mine. I'm, I'm a child of the king, that kind of stuff. And I don't have to anymore think about somebody sitting in the audience saying, oh, Boy, where'd you get that dress? Or I don't ever have to think about that lady who said to me that I was a I was a embarrassment to God's kingdom because I wore nail polish. I don't have to listen to that. 
because I don't care. Maybe you don't like my dress. Or, you know, and I know we can't help, but because we live in this world and, you know, let's face it, first impressions and, and you know, let's face it, women are women and we case people from head to toe and it's just what we do and let's see what shoes she's got on and, you know, I'm telling you, I'll tell you, it is so freeing. It's just great. It's called the freedom in Christ. I think that's what David is talking about here. Our Bibles have warned us about falling into those traps that the world wants us to believe. And also, it warns us about how cunning our enemy is, that he deceives as the angel of light. He is out of the suit, the red suit. He doesn't carry a pitchfork, and he is very sneaky. And he uses people that you wouldn't even expect. Our Bible warned us about that. You have an enemy that does not want to see you grow and bloom with amazing grace. And he'll do whatever he has to do. The Bible warns us. But then look, it also says, you know what else our Bible tells us? Our Bibles tell us that if we do want to obey what God says, if we want to accept his instruction as trustworthy, if we do want to hear his voice when he says, listen to me, when we do have a desire to become Christ-like and put self farther and farther behind us every day, if we have a desire, he says, you, you will experience a great reward. What is that reward? All I know is that the reward that God promises when we are obedient far is far greater than any reward this world can give us. If you just don't mind a personal experience, my, my mom passed away last week. She's 92, and she, she um, was really quite spiffy. I mean, August 3, I still took her to get her nails done. And she was a handful. And I know that many of you, if you've been in the study, you know, I've talked about her. And, and, you know, she was getting to where, you know, I just couldn't do anything right. And yet she expected me to do it all, but it never was right. And, I mean, I couldn't even get the right size jar of olives. I mean, it, it just wasn't right. And it got exasperating sometimes. And sometimes I got frustrated. And sometimes I slammed the door. Sometimes she knew I was upset, and I'd come home, and I'd say to Tom, oh, she drove me nuts. It's hard, to, it's hard to not be able to do anything right. And so once I got it out, I went to the phone and called her, and I always went back, did her hair over 50 years. Into the store for all the time. And, you know, I'm not saying, oh, what a great daughter you've been. No, no, you know what? I was obedient to his word. It's to honor your mom. And even though, and my mom, she, she's a lovely lady. And, you know, the last years, I mean, the body was just wearing out and she was in pain. And that's so hard to live in pain. And, 
he was like regressing into, you know, just a little kind of crabby. And I just, I felt so bad because no matter what I said or did, I just couldn't get joy back in her. And then, then the last three weeks, it was, it was just horrible. And she traveled, she traveled from Appledore Independent Living to the hospital for a week and then to, to Rest Haven with therapy, and then she couldn't do that. They found her unresponsive, so we brought her back to the hospital for another three, four hours, but they didn't know what to do with her, so we went back to Rest Haven in the hospice. And, and then she went to Appledore and assisted living where she wanted to go, and we finally got her there. And she was just there a few days, and the bottom fell out. And the last three days of her life, I just stayed there. And I did things for my mom I never thought I could do. But the Lord enables when you are willing to be obedient and do what the Bible says, what your Bible tells you to do. I just didn't want to leave her, and I didn't. And I was right by her side, and... It was in the, in the night, and I was just kind of holding her because it had been so hard, and she she just was, she was just, the noises she was making, and you could tell the pain she was in, and they were just trying to regulate it. And, and so I just stayed there. I couldn't leave. I just stayed there, and I held her, and I, I stroked her cheeks, and I, I, I kept rubbing my fingers through her hair, and I just kept whispering in her ear. And then in the night, all of a sudden, I noticed that her mouth was open like it always was, but there was no air coming out. And I looked at that heartbeat in her neck that I'd watched for days. And I quick ran and got the nurse and and she said to me, she says, your mom's in transition. I can hear just a little bit of a murmur. Talk to her. And so I just grabbed her and I was talking to her. And I said, do you see him yet? Do you see Jesus yet? I'm going to be right behind you. Because in the course of those days, you know what my great reward was? For all the exasperating things. But going back, my great reward is when she would try to open up her eyes and she would look around the room until she saw me. And then, you're still here. That's the greatest reward. My greatest reward is standing up here tonight saying to you, I have no regrets. Oh, I'm sorry that, yeah, I slammed the door a couple of times. Yeah, I'm sorry then my voice got a little louder, but every day I called her, told her I was sorry. And as much as I wanted to say, but you had it coming, as much as I wanted to say that, I didn't. <laughs> because I knew, I knew that my reward would be that I can stand and tell you this and say, I have no regrets. I'm glad I did what I did. 
And now that's just my personal story. And I'm hoping that you're listening, not at all really concerned about my personal story and what I discovered. And it's wonderful. And this is so true. But I'm hoping because every one of us has got an exasperating person in our life. And what David is trying to say is your Bible will help you with those kind of people. And if you do it God's way, you won't have to carry guilt and you won't have to carry the consequences and broken relationships. And no, you can do something. Your great reward is doing it right, following your Bible in the statutes and the law of the Lord and the precepts and the commands and the fear of the Lord and the ordinances. The great reward. Hmm. David goes on to say, who can discern his errors? Who can discern his errors? In fact, what, he's, what David is saying is that I know some of you, some of you are thinking, well, I, I'm not that bad. I can't think of any. I'm quite a good person. David is trying to get in our faces here and say, who can discern his ears? You don't even realize. You, you have gotten so that you don't even realize it's wrong. And I've told this story so many times, and so bear with me, everyone. You know that the TV show that I used to watch, I'll never tell you what it is, but you know that I told you this, that I had this TV show that I watched for years, laughed my head off, Thought it was just the funniest show. Until one night I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm watching it and I'm this is despicable. This is just horrible. How in the world can you call yourself a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus, Jesus? A believer of God's word that says, fill your mind with good things and pure and noble things. How can you be watching this? And, and my, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I said, well, Lord, last week it wasn't a big deal. I watched and laughed. How come, how come you, you know what the Lord, pretty much what the Lord says. He said, well, I was dealing with you on something else last week. And he doesn't deal with us all at once. I mean, he will, he's so gracious that he'll take one thing at a time. And, but then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I haven't watched that show since. It's despicable. And I'm thinking to myself, see, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I didn't even realize it. Until, I'll tell you, he'll make it clear to you. One of these days, he'll show you. And that's why David goes on and says, forgive my hidden faults. Boy, didn't he know it? Of all people, David of all people. I mean, you know the story. He was far from perfect. He didn't feel like going. He didn't feel like going to war. He didn't feel like it. And so he didn't. After all, I'm King David. I can do what I want when I want. David stepped out of line. And the Lord said, oh, boy, there's consequences here. We all know the story. And then he got so used to it and he, got so, he talked himself so into it that I can do this. I'm the king after all. And, and so it took the prophet Nathan to come and, and expose him. And then when he realized it, he said, this is me. 
after Nathan said, um, you are the man. And David wrote Psalm 51. So David knows what he's saying. Forgive my hidden, my hidden faults, my hidden sins. And, you know, those hidden sins, you think you're going to get away with, or you think it's not that bad, or whatever your defense mechanism is. David is confronting us, and he's saying, he knows. And he's trying to expose it so that you can clean your act up and become more Christ-like. Keep your servant also. Keep your servant also from willful sins. Okay, now we have the hidden sins that we think are, it's not going to really hurt anybody. Nobody knows. And sometimes we're not even aware of it until they're exposed. And so David has given the Lord permission to just open us up so we can be cleaned. But then he says, keep your servant also from willful sins. And what, what are willful 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 sins and you know I really don't have to tell you you know what a willful sin is it's when you know it's wrong you don't feel like you're just going to do it anyway it's when you know better but you're letting your will get out of God's you've been warned your Bibles have warned you but you don't care I got plenty of time to repent or whatever, whatever you're saying. And David is saying, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Do you know that if you are in the middle of a willful sin, sin is something that will just keep progressing. We call it a slippery slope. If it isn't checked, a sin will start as a simple thing thought. You don't make your thought captive to the Lord Jesus, then this thought will, you'll just start um, thinking about it more and more. And then before you know it, um, you are planning your course of action. And then you're seeking the opportunity when the time is right to perform that action. And then boom, you perform the action. See, it's a progressive stage. And then, if it's not nipped, even after, if you haven't learned after the first time, then this willful sin becomes, becomes repetitive. It, it becomes something you do again. And then it gets a little more because now you, you need to be enticed in a little more different way. And then you really don't care who you hurt because you need to be satisfied. And then it got you. And it's called addiction. And that's anything that's got you. And David gets that. He understands that. And he says, oh, keep your servant. Keep your servant from willful sins that they may not rule over me. Then, then will I be blameless. Because if we listen, if we make our our thoughts captive to the Lord Jesus, and it doesn't come out in sin. I know you look at the word blameless and you think, that's impossible for me to be blameless. No, it's not. 
Instead of following through and have it come out in your action, you stop it before. You, you don't have to suffer guilt. You don't have to suffer the consequences. Hallelujah. That's what David is trying to teach us here. You are obedient to the instructions of your Bibles. And you know how important it is to be in your Bibles. Then guess what? You're going to watch your life be different because it's going to become more blameless because you don't have to carry any guilt because you didn't do it. Innocent of great transgressions. That feels great. Another freedom in Christ. And he ends. He ends this, and that's why I hope you can see now the order of David saying to the music director, this is the way we're going to do it today. Because now we have got them seen in their hearts, in their minds, through their spiritual eyes. They're, they see their God through creation. They know how powerful he is. They know who he is, what he's done. And now they're ready to listen to him. And they're ready then to even let the Lord search their heart. Search me. I mean, you know that verse where it says, see if there be any wicked way in me. Are we willing to say that? Clean me out. And then, and only then, can you say these words. May the words of my mouth. And boy, they can be potent sometime. And David is saying, I followed this. That's why verse by verse is so good. Because you see, there's no way our words could be pleasing to him unless we know who he is. We're in our Bibles. And David is saying, I want my words. I want every word that comes out of my mouth. I want every thought that goes through my mind. I want it to be pleasing. I want it to be pleasing to you, Lord. Have you gotten to that point that everything that you do, everything that you think, every action that we commit, everything is either putting a smile on Jesus' face or he's saying, oh, I'm disappointed with my child today. Now, what do you want? This made a whale of a difference in me. After I've been warned by God's word about this temptation that I know self really wants to do and all this kind of thing, what stops me is, is this going to put a smile on Jesus' face or am I going to be disappointing him? And that should matter after all what he's done. To make us who we are, to give us what we've got, to give us a future like we've got. And that's what he means when he says, may every word, may every thought, may every, may every meditation in my heart, whatever's in my heart, just expose it. I want it to be pleasing to you. Why? Because you're my Lord. You're in all, you're over all, you're through all. You are my Lord. And you are my rock. You are my strength. 
and you are my redeemer. You are my rescuer. And this is the least I can do for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chapter. It's very clear. Bible study is so powerful. We just take it line by line and we let the Holy Spirit take over that line. And before we know it, wow, all that in one chapter. Such good instruction. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you have given us everything we need. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.